0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. My name is Aliyah and I wanted to talk about my relationship with social media. Within the past year and a half of the pandemic, I've gone through phases of deleting and re-downloading my social media apps, especially Instagram. Like many others, social media has made me worry about myself in comparison to others, whether it be my body, my friends, or how I'm spending my time. Even though there are many reasons why I should quit social media for good, the reason why I keep coming back to it is that as a young queer individual, social media is a space where I can feel like I can advocate and learn about what it means to be queer, as well as educate myself on other topics of social justice. The question I have for myself very often is... Is it worth it to sacrifice some of my well being for my education on social issues? Thank you. Bye.
1: I'm Casper Tech Kyle.
2: I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
1: And I'm John Green. And this is The Real Question. And John is here.
3: Hello, I'm so glad to be with y'all to ask my real, real question. Listening to that voicemail, I immediately had an extremely strong reaction to what I think Aaliyah should do on the internet, which made me think that maybe I already know what I should do (laughs) with the internet, and I just haven't quite internalized it yet.
2: (laughs) You know what Aaliyah should do.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Well, John, we're so glad to have you here. And we're really excited that we're doing an event with you in August as well. Right, Vanessa?
2: Yes. John has graciously agreed to rate Jane Eyre on a five-star scale with me to help celebrate my book coming out.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited. I love Vanessa's book a lot, and it deepened my relationship with Jane Eyre and also lots of other big questions. So I just think it's a beautiful book, really perfectly executed. And even if you haven't read Jane Eyre, you will love this book.
2: So the event is on August 20th, a Friday night from 8 to 9.30. It's online. You can find out more by going to vanessazoltan.com. And it will be a night where John and I will either become closer or I'll have to cut him out if he gives it less than five stars.
3: (laughs) Well, it's good to know that in advance.
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to set you up for success. Make your choice.
3: It's hard to get five stars from me.
1: That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Before we dive into the show... A big thanks to our fabulous patrons, Kelly R., Carolyn W., Emma F., Jamie M., Gabriella B, freaking love that name, Gabriella, and Katie Y. We're so grateful to each of you for supporting
3: the show. We couldn't do it without you.
2: So, John, tell us what you want to say to Aliyah.
3: What I want to say to Aliyah is that one of the things that the internet is really good at doing, especially the parts of the internet that are owned and controlled by for-profit corporations, they're really good at making you think that they are providing a service that you literally cannot get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. I understand that it can be a place of deep community for people. And that's one of the reasons I'm really struggling with it. But I also think that We have to remember what these companies are ultimately monetizing, and ultimately they're monetizing our attention, they're monetizing our time, and the more attention and time they can hold, the more money that they will make, and they know the best way to hold our attention, which is to show us information that is upsetting and outrageous and terrifying and then occasionally joyful and fun and community building. They have the ratio down. I don't think they do it on purpose, but I think that they have the ratio down in a really profound way. And so the way that we feel after a session on Instagram is exactly the way Instagram wants us to feel. So can you talk to us a little bit, like, why is this... An important question for you. What's the struggle at the heart of it? I think what what makes me so conflicted about it is one, I grew up on the internet and I love the internet and I really enjoy it or I enjoy aspects of it. And especially in the last year and a half, when I was frankly really lonely, it was a way into having community. And a lot of the ways that I dealt with getting off the internet in the first place in twenty. 18 was by replacing it with real life communities, replacing it with going to church, replacing it with going to a bar to watch mm. Liverpool games instead of watching Liverpool games with the internet. And that was, you know, kind of taken away from me to some extent as it was taken away from all of us. And so I crept back toward online experience and there are so there are parts of it that I love so much I don't think it's good for me, but on the other hand, as y'all know, it's super important for your ability to have a creative career. And so that's a tension for me as well, that like, I know that if I'm not on the internet, people are still going to be saying stuff about me. It's just that I won't have a voice in that conversation. And then also like, I know that if I'm on the internet, more people will read my books, more people will, you know, engage with our videos and the things that we do like crash course will we'll do better because I'm mm-hmm. there kind of pushing them. So all of that factors into my thinking about it. And I think that's why I'm conflicted in the end. If it was a narrow calculation of like, does this make my life better or worse? It's pretty straightforward. It makes my life worse, but it's more than that, you know?
2: Well, not only that, right? Like you have causes that you're very closely tied to. So it's also yeah, like- maternal mortality is in your hands, whether or not you're on the internet.
3: To some extent. Yeah. I mean, because we have to raise $25 million or most of $25 million to support the building of this maternal care center in Sierra Leone. And I don't have the real life friend network that would allow that to happen. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> I wish we all did. That's, I know. That yeah, sounds me too. like a good network. Well, do we though? No. Like, do I wish that I hung out with billionaires? I really don't. <laughs> I really like my friend group in Indianapolis and it's a it's a zero billionaires club. Yeah. So when we talk about like getting off the internet, we don't really mean like stopping using Google Maps, right? right? Like I'm still going to have to email sometimes. Like I'd love not to. So there's no there's no getting off the internet in the sense that like the internet is in my watch. Right. You know, uh the internet is a vital tool of communication for me. So what I'm really talking about is to what extent the places that are really good at capturing and holding my attention. And I think the platforms are different for each person. Sure. Like people on Twitter make fun of people who are addicted to Facebook and then people who are on Reddit make fun of people who are addicted to TikTok. And I want to be like, y'all, we're all in the same boat. They're just attacking different demographies. Right. Like we, we, we all have the same problem. So I could be on the internet healthfully in the sense that like, I can go to Google and that's not a, disastrous thing for me it's the places that are really good at holding my attention that are so dangerous for me and i don't know what to do about that because they are also many of the places that are most productive in terms of building a deeper relationship with our audience helping you know fuel the building of community and like you said raising money and attention for these you know causes that are important to us
1: well that feels like a great segue into Exploring the first text that you've brought, and the way that the show works, as you know, is that we, we look at this piece of text, a song, a movie, a poem, anything that helps us figure out an angle into this question that, that helps us develop at least an answer to it. So what is the first text that you've brought for us to discuss together?
3: So the first text that I brought is an essay. It's called The Meadow Across the Creek, and it's by Thomas Berry. And I think about it every day. So it's an essay about this guy, Thomas Berry, when he was a kid, there was a meadow like in his backyard. And uh, then below the meadow, there was this uh, small creek. And the worldview that he eventually developed is extremely simple and extremely complicated. And it is this. It's summed up in the essay this way. Whatever preserves and enhances this meadow in the natural cycle of its transformation is good. What is opposed to this meadow or negates it is not good. My life orientation is that simple. It is also that pervasive. It applies in economics and political orientation, as well as in education and religion and whatever. (laughs) And the underlying idea that really resonates with me is that Something small, like the preservation and maintenance of a meadow, can become a wonderful way into dealing with the biggest problems. Like, is climate change real and how should we confront it? Well, we know that whatever is good for the meadow is good, and we know that climate change is bad for the meadow. Mm -hmm. When it comes to our politics, when it comes to our relationship with the natural world, whatever is good for the meadow is good. And I used this when I was younger as a way into thinking, whatever is good for the internet is good. And whatever is bad for the internet is bad. Whoa. And, and that was like my meadow, which was maybe not the best meadow. And I think part of what's difficult for me is that I was deeply, deeply, deeply invested in the internet being a good place that mm. fought fascism and authoritarianism everywhere in the world, that made information and learning free, that lowered barriers to connection among people, that raised up voices that had long been silenced by structural oppression. Mm. And I believed in all of this so much, and now I have to confront that like I might have picked the wrong meadow. John, that feels like an
1: entirely new angle to this question, at least in how I'm thinking about it, because it's not just being on social media, is it good for me or not? But it's like, are you ceding ground or like, are you admitting defeat really in a battle for the soul of the internet? Like if you're not on there, then we're just leaving it to the giant corporations and gone is the whimsy and the goodness and the generosity of what the internet has been for so many of us.
3: And I think that is part of it for me feels like I'm quitting on something I love, Mm. but there's also a feeling of like grief because it's, I mean, I think it's still there for some people, but it's just not, it's just not there for me anymore.
4: Yeah.
2: My question is, is any meadow the right meadow? Because I love this idea And like my meadow is (laughs) girls in basements or Bertha in the attic, right? Like that is, is -hmm. it good for girls in basements? If it's good for girls in basements, then it's good for the world. And that is the way Mm -hmm. that I think about things. But like that ethic doesn't always work perfectly when thinking about how to raise the kids, right? Like there are things that I know don't fit into my meadow. And so I'm wondering Mm. if you think that, is there any good meadow
3: I think that's a really good argument that the problem ultimately like may not be with the meadow I chose but like with the idea that there there can be one microcosm that works everywhere and always right because there are there are problems in the world that the quality of a meadow just doesn't speak to. And there are frankly problems in the world, as much as the internet wouldn't like to hear this, that the internet doesn't speak to. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least doesn't speak to effectively. So maybe ultimately like that's what I need to let go.
2: Instead of a meadow, can we have like an ecosystem, I guess is what I'm saying, can become important but smaller. Right,
3: right, can be like a smaller part. And that's another thing I think that like gets to the core issue or the core problem, which is that, I've put so much of my identity and my life and my time into the internet. My brother loves to say this, and I think it's a really good line. I have to diversify my identity. Like I have to be more than one thing in my mind, like more than a citizen of the internet. I have to also be a father and a husband and a Christian and a gardener and all the other things that I, that I am.
2: So if you're doing that, if you're diversifying your identity, like what does that mean for Twitter?
3: think that probably means that twitter isn't a big part of my life maybe like uh if we're thinking of this as a larger ecosystem but <laughs> it's the creek up river you know so it still still affects and impacts my ecosystem but uh i'm i think maybe i'm not like playing in it all the time <laughs>
2: mm. which is sad because playing in creeks all the time fun
3: well i i'm i'm all for finding a creek to play in. i just i, I want twitter to be like the upstream creek and then my creek is like Vlogbrothers YouTube community, yeah. HP and the sacred text community kind of vibes.
2: Right. So I'm wondering do you actually think it's possible for social media to become just like this creek? Or do you think that no matter what, it is going to become part of your whole internet, part of your ecosystem?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a good question. I think that's the big question for me. Like, are there ways to healthfully engage with it right
2: i set one of those timers on that my twitter app and i no longer even see the timer i hit ignore like override on the timer yeah i should just get rid of it like it it doesn't even register
3: <laughs> i had a thing for a while that made me do a math problem <laughs> oh that's better
1: than what i have
3: in order to get on twitter and i i just got good at those math problems <laughs>
1: Each of us has these ways in which we lie to ourselves that we think it's it's going to change or it's going to interrupt the behavior in one, one way or another. But I I also want to say that like there are real moments of joy and delight. Like there yeah. are there are moments of humor, and I guess m- most of all that I find myself going on there when something in my life is hard, where there's an email that is difficult to respond to, or like not not even like major crisis level hard, but like things that just demand something of me. And it's easier to go to this place where I will feel okay in the stream of conversation because something will entertain me. And when I'm critical of myself, I'm like, what would a 16th century hardworking peasant say to me in my easy life of... (laughs) like comfort and distraction yep. and like have i become so morally small that my backbone is non-existent in the face of problems like do do we need the kind of school of hard knocks to get us to have a stronger level of resistance to this i don't know
3: maybe i do think though that there's something very real about that right which is that we can talk all the time about how and it's true that, that these platforms are really good at monetizing attention, and they're really good at holding and grabbing attention. And that's basically their whole business model. But there are also moments of intense joy, right? And mm-hmm. like Liverpool won the Premier League last season, and it happened in the middle of a pandemic with no ability to celebrate with my friends, no ability to celebrate with the other Liverpool fans in Indianapolis. And so I celebrated on Twitter and on Reddit and it was wonderful. And if it hadn't, if that hadn't happened, it would have felt really empty to me. Like it would have felt like, oh my God, I can't believe we won the league after 30 years and this is how we won it. But instead, I didn't feel any of that. I just felt super happy and I felt connected to other Liverpool fans around the world. And I think that's very valuable. And then there's also something valuable about the internet in general, which is that it does a better job of making space for more voices than like television does or than Hollywood movies traditionally have. And so I think there are real benefits and that's part of what makes it a tough decision.
2: Absolutely. I went off Facebook and I'm not on Instagram much, but Twitter, I have such a hard time giving up because I've met so many wonderful people through Twitter. You tweet about one of your favorite romance authors and they... Will write back to you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is an actual person. And I have like developed deep friendships over it. And I think that we all have that across different platforms, whichever one your community is sort of on. So, yeah, it's just so easy to justify it. Those relationships have meant a lot to me and not to quantify any relationship. But I wonder if I were to do a cost benefit analysis with how much time I've spent on Twitter and how much emotional spiraling I've done because of Twitter, if it would equal the like two or three romance authors I've met on there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm the same way. Like I have really good friendships that came from Twitter and that are important to me. Right. And I have a lot of good memories too. I mean, I, I love being on Twitter for most of the first like three or four years that I was on it, but I also see more costs now.
2: Right. The question is whether or not you feel like you're giving up on a future potential relationship.
3: Yeah. And maybe I do. And maybe that's part of like what holds me there, right? Is like wanting to feel connected to this larger fabric that, you know, can generate really meaningful friendships. Right. Maybe. (laughs) But I also think that when we come to my second source, we will be looking at the ways that Twitter, especially, and Facebook, especially, but also Instagram and Reddit and YouTube, whatever else, the ways that they basically use the exact same psychological strategies that casinos use to make people fall down the rabbit hole.
4: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
3: So, John, let's turn to your second text. Tell us what we're going to look at. My second source is a transcript for the first episode of the podcast, Your Undivided Attention which is a podcast about the attention economy and social media and how these social media sites use a lot of the same strategies that Las Vegas casinos use Mm -hmm. to extract value from their customers. So the exact text that resonated most with me was when the host was describing slot machine users in casinos and explained that the gamblers Natasha interviews know what's happening. They can tally up the sporadic wins and the constant losses, and they can see they're headed toward financial ruin, but the money is almost beside the point. What they're pursuing is an experience. It's almost like undergoing anesthesia. They want to feel absorbed by the machine. And that feeling of being absorbed by the machine, I don't play slot machines, but I do know that feeling of being absorbed by the machine and I know how powerful it is. It's almost like an anesthesia that also fills me with like dread and shimmering nervousness down my arms, but it is still an absorption by the machine. And that line just has stuck with me because I just think every time I'm on the internet, I think I'm getting absorbed by the machine.
2: Do you, like this quote suggests about people who are on slot machines, do you want to feel absorbed by the machine or do you find yourself falling into it?
3: I like the feeling of being engrossed. Like I like the feeling of not having to think, Yes, if that makes sense, or not having to choose what I think about and so I think for me a lot of what I get from scrolling is that feeling of like being in the feed you know being absorbed into it and I I don't know if that's a pleasant feeling but I know that it's one I keep coming back to. Vanessa you and I have talked about the very strange shared
1: love we have of the moment before you go under in surgery. Oh my god that's my favorite moment. (laughs) I think it's similar to that sense of like, kind of giving yourself over this kind of, there's just something about letting go and, and
3: giving in. That's the feeling. It's the feeling of letting go. I mean, the, th- the problem with describing it as anesthesia, like when, when he described it that way, I knew exactly what he meant. And I knew exactly that feeling that I get when I'm online. But the thing about anesthesia is that you're calm. Like, I'm not at all calm when I'm on Twitter. I'm anxious. I'm I feel like I've got my guard up in every direction, but I am engrossed. I'm in the machine and I've never played slots, but that is how I feel when I play blackjack too, where I don't feel calm in any way cuz like it's a weird environment, I'm with strangers, there I'm, there's money at stake, but I do feel engrossed. I feel like inside of that experience and it's powerful. It's powerful enough to like convince people that it's a good idea to lose money.
2: Are there things in your life that you get engrossed by that you are like, and this is healthy for me?
3: <sighs> yeah, they aren't as good though, Vanessa.
2: No, and they're not as easy <laughs> to get engrossed by them, right?
3: Exactly. It's a little more work to, to get, get in. There. Totally. Like writing is like that for me when it works, you know? hmm uh, when I'm deep in something, it can feel really, again, not good exactly, but in, deeply engrossing. And then the other thing is gardening. I mean, when you're with or working on, I have this uh, trail that I built. When I'm working on the trail, not thinking about time or anything, really, I'm just thinking about like what the trail needs. So it is possible. I, it does happen. It's just a lot more effort. Is that like that for you?
2: Oh, for sure. I th- Reading is the thing for me or watching, like watching a whole movie, not like <laughs> I do a lot of quick Grey's Anatomy episodes, but it takes, I have to leave the phone in the other room. I have to yeah. Right, like, yeah, I, casual reading doesn't do it for me, right? Like I have to be in my big yellow chair and know that I have 45 minutes and it takes me 10 minutes to get into it. Whereas the internet pulls me in. It's like five seconds, not even you click and you're in.
3: Yeah, genuinely like seconds away at any time. Like, and and having it in my phone, especially, like, I know that I am wherever I am, whenever I am, I am seconds away from a distraction that is so pure and so effective and so complete. And how could you resist that? Because the other thing about this is that, like, there's this background pain or this background. It's almost like white noise, but this background discomfort that comes from boredom or comes from like not feeling engrossed, not feeling engaged. And you want to treat that. You want to anesthetize it. I want to anesthetize it. And it's really hard not to when I'm holding the thing that can anesthetize me. The problem is that like on the other side of that, pain of boredom or that whatever that pain is on the other side of it is really lovely. But it's almost impossible for me to get to the other side of it because I have this tool of distraction in my left hand all the time.
2: I mean, what's interesting to me if we're putting these two texts in conversation with each other is that the person sitting down at the slot machine might also have this like pretty great story of like, if I win, uh, college fund or retirement or donation, right? Mm-hmm. Does the internet feel like a slot machine in that way? Are you like, I'm just putting quarters in and getting nothing out. And I'm just telling myself that it's a college fund for my kids.
3: Well, I think part of what makes it complicated for me is that I did win the lottery on the internet, Yeah, you yeah. know, like in every way. And there's no way that my books would have been as commercially successful without the internet. There's no way that the conversation around them would be as deep or the readers of those books feel as connected to each other as they do with the tools of the internet. And the community that has come out of the work that we've done online is by far the most important thing in my professional life and is overwhelmingly the coolest thing that I will ever be part of. And that makes it hard to dismiss, you know, like that makes it hard to be like, well, this isn't a very useful tool if the tool has created a community that is not perfect, but really lovely and really important for a lot of people. And I think the same is true for the community around y'all's work. It's really important to people and it's very real. It's as real as any other community. And so for me, the question is really like, is it possible for me to not give that up because I really don't want to give that up. Like as unpleasant as Twitter is for me, I would stay on Twitter for the rest of my life if I could continue to have that community be strong and a positive presence in people's lives. Mm. And so the question really is about what part of the ecosystem do these private companies need to play in order for us to have the communities that are really valuable for us?
1: That feels like a really helpful kind of development of the question that you brought us that it's not going to be solved by just being on the internet thoughtlessly, nor is it going to be solved by just being off the internet kind of dogmatically. There has to be a way of being on it that's different from how it is now, but that still allows for that kind of connection or that seeks it. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there's anything in your life where the way you had tried to do it the first time didn't work, but you came back to it another time with a different approach
3: and it landed into place? The one that comes to mind immediately is my relationship with my spouse, because Sarah and I dated briefly and catastrophically (laughs) in what we refer to as the fall, the fall of, (laughs) I guess, 2000, I don't know, two, three, something, and then dated again in what we call the spring, the spring of the (laughs) following year. And I think the major thing that changed between the fall and the spring was me. And I think the big change was that I just grew up a lot and was able to see being in a romantic relationship as an important part of my life, but not like the only part of my life. And that was a huge change that made it a lot less stressful to be my romantic partner, I think. Um, And also like, like took the pressure off of me in a lot of ways, because like whether I was in a, you know, a romantic relationship was no longer the only metric by which I judged the quality of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm. So maybe there is a lesson there for me in my relationship with the internet, which is one, to diversify my identity. So I don't think of myself solely as like an internet creator or as an internet resident. And two, to understand that when the internet feels like a happy place for me or a sad place for me, it's in neither case, is it the only or most important place for me?
2: Mm. Mm. But isn't one of the possible answers then that you've changed and your community is flourishing and like doesn't need you anymore and you've changed in a way that like you don't need the internet?
3: Yeah. And like the community will be okay.
2: Yeah. Like you've done a good enough job setting it up, right? Like you raise your children, not in the hopes that they'll hang out with you all the time. I mean, although of course also that, but like, right. You want them to be independent and you raise this community well enough, like- in the best way, it doesn't need you anymore.
1: Okay, wait, I have to jump on that, John. You brought us the question: Should I break up with the internet? But what if, what if the internet
3: released you? I feel, I, I feel like the internet has been dumping me for some time, Casper. They're ready to end it, and maybe you know what, Casper? It's mutual. It's mutual. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a conscious uncoupling. It's my first mutual breakup, <laughs> the best kind. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that idea a lot. More like it's a relationship that ran its course. And the reason that it isn't that fulfilling for me is because it ran its course. Not because Twitter wasn't great or because those friendships that happened weren't real or anything like that. It's just that it's run its course, which everything does. And it hasn't failed. It
1: has completed. Yes. That's the other thing. It doesn't have to be a defeat. It's it's actually a mutual... Victory, You know, it, it, yeah. There's so often there's such negativity attached to endings. And actually, when we're holding on to something that has already ended without acknowledging it, it, it we're not making space for the new things, right? For the new beginnings in yeah. life.
2: John, how are you feeling about this desire to sometimes be absorbed by the machine?
3: That's the thing that's going to be hard. It's a lot more powerful than I am. It feels so much bigger than my little brain.
2: And like, it's not like you can get to the root cause, right? Because like the root cause of the desire to be absorbed is like the human condition. So
3: Mm -hmm. it is.
2: If you could cure the human condition, that would be great.
3: Or if any of our (laughs) listeners can,
2: community, solve this.
3: But like you said earlier, it's so much more work. Yeah. And I think that what's going to be hard for me is... Opening myself up to do that work, understanding that work is worth it yeah, and not kind of caving and being like, oh, I have an easy solution for this problem. I guess my hope would be that if I can remember why I'm doing it and remember why I'm seeking this other kind of connection and this other kind of community and this other kind of engrossedness or whatever, if I can remember why, then I can keep pushing myself toward that. I would also have, frankly, a a number of hours in my day that I do not currently have.
2: Yeah. Can I express a hope for you? Yeah. Which is that like every time you do that once, like you want to go to Twitter, but instead you weed the garden, like that is a huge victory against like a huge corporate machine that is trying to plug into you and so I think like that really deserves a celebration I think it's so easy for us to beat ourselves up when we backslide and're like oh I said I wouldn't be on Twitter but I'm on Twitter and first of all I just want to say like none of us should do that that's not helpful but I really hope for you that you celebrate every time you resist it's like tentacles getting into you it's slaying a dragon
3: oh man I just I just had this great Dungeons and Dragons adventure with my kids and their friends where at the very end, they slayed a dragon. And it's such a wonderful metaphor for the challenges we're all up against. Like dragons are a great metaphor for corrupt and scary and intimidating systems. So I'm going to tell myself that, yeah, I'm, I'm slaying a dragon each time I go out into the garden or choose to read or choose to try to write about a ginkgo tree or or whatever it is.
1: I love that so much, John. I, I mean, I feel like with the two sources that you brought us, it's like the meadow versus the machine. Like these are the two reference points, at least in my mind, of how I'm going to think about this. And I'm not going to be able to choose the meadow every time. But when I do, I'm celebrating. I'm just gonna be like, I did it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love that. I hadn't thought of that in relationship to these sources, but it's very true. The meadow and the machine. <laughs> so i want to say a big thank you to thomas barry not just for the meadow across the creek i've enjoyed a lot of his writing over the years and have found a lot of it helpful and to the podcast which i really recommend your undivided attention uh, which is made by the center for humane technology which is a top-notch name for a center <laughs> <laughs>
1: We like to share a word of wisdom from one of our listeners. And I wanted to th- suggest Maria from Philadelphia's quote, where she points us to the wonderful Mary Oliver in her poem, Sometimes. And the quote is this instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished,
3: tell about it. Hmm. That is the whole thing though. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Yeah
2: you've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. If you have the means to help us out, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you love the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod. And John (laughs) follows us specifically on Twitter at the real pod. We are a Not Sorry production. I know. Our executive producer is the great and good Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull and we are distributed by Acast. A special thanks to John Green for joining us, Aaliyah for your wonderful voicemail, Nikki Hua for organizing today's episode, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, and each and every one of our patrons. John, thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon.
3: Thank y'all.